Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we are preaching from a uh, book, we are hearing from a book that I seldom preach from, and that is the book of Revelation. And I'll tell you why I don't preach from the book of Revelation very often, And, and that is because and I do not mean this in a, uh, a deprecating or, or bad way at all. I, I feel like a lot of us as Christ followers can be really tempted to get lost in the weeds of the book of Revelation. Uh, and what I mean by that is the book of Revelation is full of visions and of prophecy and all kinds of things that are that are sort of difficult for us to wrestle with, and that kind of have a bunch of baggage with them, a bunch of difficulty, right? We tend to think of prophecy, for example, as predicting the future. But that is a really bad definition of what biblical prophecy is. What a biblical prophecy or what a biblical prophet does is a biblical prophet speaks God's words to the people of God. And that can sometimes take the the form of predictions of what will happen in the future. But more often and more essentially, it is about speaking the truth to the people of God. And so throughout, for example, um, you know, Isaiah and Ezekiel and all of the prophets, you hear the prophet saying to the people of Israel, essentially thus the Lord, you need to stop doing these terrible behaviors and you need to start doing these good behaviors. And if you don't stop doing the one and start doing the other, there will be consequences. And that's often the basic gist of what the prophet, the prophetic word is about. And so the the future prophecy stuff is kind of beside the point. I mean, it's important, but it's it's not the central thing. The central thing is stop doing the bad, start doing the good, and then things will be good, right? In a, in a similar manner, uh, although a little bit different, the, the book of Revelation is also a prophetic work, an apocalyptic prophetic work, which is, again, slightly different. Um, but in, in, in the book of Revelation, we are largely hearing from the prophet John and, and, and through John from God, we are hearing the message to this little tiny baby church, continue doing the good things where you are doing the good things, stop doing the bad things and beware because things are going to get rough. But remember that God has already won the victory in Jesus Christ and it is sure and true and will not fail. Okay? That is like if if there is only one thing that we learn about the book of Revelation and that's it, stop doing the bad, start doing the good where you need to and remember that things are going to get rough, but God has it in the bag. God has the victory. If that's the only thing we can pull away from the book of Revelation for the rest of our lives, that's great, right? That's the essential message. 
and getting caught up in when this is going to happen and when that's going to happen and when the other things are going to happen. Those are really interesting. They're great uh, debates. And, and certainly the Bible tells us that we are to walk around in this world with our eyes open, paying attention to what is going on and the signs of the times. Those are all good things. But if we get stuck in those things and forget the essential message, then we'll be in trouble. So that's why I don't preach from the book of Revelation very often. That being said, this morning we are going to hear from the book of Revelation. And so I would invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to the end of the chapter, 17 I think. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 17. Uh, this is, again, the, the primary speaker here, or the, the narrator of the story, is, uh, is the Apostle John. If you'll remember correctly, the Apostle John is writing the book of Revelation as, um, as he receives a whole bunch of visions directly from God while he is in exile on the island of Patmos. Um, and so this is important and good stuff. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor will any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, this, is, this passage is really important for us as... Again, are all the passages of Scripture, but particularly this morning, this passage is very timely for us. 
There is really probably, if you study church history, there is not a generation that has gone by that did not think that the end of all things was coming soon and that Christ would return to judge the living and the dead and that, that the, the, the <clears throat> things that we hear of, the recreation of a new heaven and new earth would be coming about soon. And in in theological time scales, they were not wrong, right? Uh, John, as he is writing this book, he and many others were probably pretty sure that they were going to experience Christ's return within their own lifetimes. And, and that is... That is a bit of a misunderstanding that some of them had based on something that Jesus had said earlier. Uh, but, but obviously this did not happen, right? Um, Jesus did not return during John's lifetime, nor did he return in the many, 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 many lifetimes that have come since. And, and so we could be left wondering uh, uh, several things. One, we could be left in doubt about our faith, wondering whether or not it is true. It, it has been almost 2,000 or 2,000-ish years since Jesus died and rose again. Um, is this actually true? Is Christ actually going to return? Or we can be left, uh, just like many people before us, wondering... Are the days now? Is the time now? And certainly if we look around at the events of the world surrounding us, it can certainly seem like there are an awful lot of things that would indicate that perhaps the time is coming very soon. And really, honestly, who would I be to say that that is incorrect? I cannot say that. Perhaps it is true that during your lifetime or my lifetime or my children's lifetime, Christ will return. It would not surprise me in the slightest. But what are we to do with this passage? What are we to do with the scriptures that speak of these people standing before the throne. What hope are we to draw from these things? Well, brothers and sisters, regardless of whether or not Christ is coming in the next few moments or whether Christ is coming in my lifetime or yours or my children's lifetime or yours or, or generations from now, there are important key things that we need to draw out from here. First of all, we need to draw out a couple of distinctions. In verse 9 and 10, we talk about these people who are standing by the throne, right? And they're a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Incidentally, okay, this is a little bit of good logic, but it might be difficult for me to explain. This little passage here is absolute and incontrovertible proof that racism is a horrible, terrible, bad, no good idea. 
absolutely terrible, right? God doesn't say in this passage, oh, everybody's there except for you fill in the blank. No, 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 no. Every tribe and nation and language and people group is there, right? And and that's because we are all created in God's image, okay? And God loves us and salvation is open to all of us. And, and so just keep that in mind, okay? Right? Racism, bad, bad, bad. Right? Okay, now, getting back. There's these, this group of, this multitude of people that nobody can count standing in white robes. Well, we need to remember that white robes is the symbolic, the, the, the clear indication that they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And, it, and, it, and we need to be careful that we don't confuse this and think that somehow, oh, oh, Christianity and salvation is just something we put on, like a, like a good, pair of jeans or something that we can stay the same underneath no 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 no. it's not just good clothes right because it says salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb right and 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 these people they are holding their palm branches which are symbolic as well of celebration and victory remember how the the crowd when jesus was coming into jerusalem was laying down palm branches and their cloaks and so on right This is symbolic of a cleansing and a celebration that the gift of salvation has been given to these people. These people who went through terrible things. And as they praise God, salvation belongs to our God who sits on on the throne and to the Lamb. And as they praise God, the angels they pipe up and they give praise. And it's interesting, in verse 12 we hear, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. How many is that? Seven, right? The number of completeness, right? The the angels are giving complete praise to God, right? Uh, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And, and then one of the elders comes to ask John, uh, who are these people? It's a, you know, uh, like one of those questions where he doesn't really expect John to actually have the answer because he knows very well that John doesn't know the answer. It's not quite a rhetorical question because he does actually want an answer, but he knows that John doesn't have it, if you know what I mean. Right. And, and and so John says, well, uh, good question. Basically, I, I don't know. Who are they? You know, I know, you know. So why don't you tell me? And so and so he, he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Right now, we need to pause there because there's a whole bunch of different theologies surrounding this idea of the great tribulation and our denomination, our particular church does not say this is the right one. Thou shalt believe this view of the um, of the end times. Uh, Rather, we say, okay, you need to be careful with all of these things, as long as you keep your mind focused on what God has done and on our calling to be the messengers of God's goodness and grace in Jesus Christ, then okay, that's fine. 
But in the, in the world around us, there are a variety of tribulation views. There is the pre-tribulation view, which says that uh, basically Christ followers will be, um, they will be raptured or taken up into heaven before the great tribulation really begins. And then during the great tribulation, there will be those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Those will be called sort of the remnant. And that is who is represented here, right? Those, the remnant who came to believe in Jesus Christ during the tribulation, the great tribulation, and who have been martyred for their faith and who come before and stand before the throne of God. There is... Also, the, uh, the theology that is mid-trib, which I don't think is very popular these days, but this is the idea that basically Christ followers will be raptured sort of halfway through the tribulation. So they won't face the worst of the seven bowls of, of wrath that are poured out on humanity, but they will be there for the first part. And then presumably... Those who are around the throne would be both those who are raptured in the first half and those who are the remnant who become Christ followers during the second half or the first half and the second half, I guess. And uh, they are the ones who are represented here. And then the last view, which is the one that's probably most common in our denomination, but not exclusively so is the post-tribulation view, which believes that really the rapture are being caught up in the air and joining Christ will not occur until after the tribulation is done and Christ is returning to judge the living and the dead and all things will be made new, right? Now, in a way, in my personal opinion, this makes the most sense from a fully global, full historical view. Because, because I find it very difficult to imagine that John and the other Christ followers during his day were not experiencing a great tribulation. And that multiple people since then and multiple persecutions which have occurred since then, including persecution of Christ followers throughout the world today, could not be part of the Great Tribulation. Right? This is, this is part of what has been going on. And that's sort of the post-millennial theology is that really, since Christ died and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, we have been in this time period where Satan is raging around all over the earth, seeing whom he can consume because he knows that he has lost and he's going to take it out on this world and on Christ followers for sure. And so the things that we are seeing, the things that, that range from, from persecution of Christ followers to the famines that we see, to the droughts that we see, to the, to the uh, terrible fires and so on, to the wars and the rumors of wars, these are all part of 
that tribulation. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility for it. It doesn't mean that we can sit here, oh, well, the wars were just going to happen anyways because it's part of the tribulation. So not our fault. No, 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 right? Still our responsibility as well. Same with, you know, things like climate change and so on. If we are causing climate change, which I know some of us disagree with, but if we are causing climate change, and even if we aren't, we have a responsibility to care for this world. And when we do that badly, that has consequences. That being said, Regardless of your views about pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, the people here, pictured here, are those who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb and who stand in front of the throne and worship God and serve Him day in and day out. And this we have to unpack a little bit too. See, one of the things that we know about the kingdom of heaven and about the new heaven and the new earth is that there, there is no temple. This is what the Bible says when it describes the new Jerusalem coming out of, out of heaven. There is no temple and there is no sun and there is no moon because God is the light of everybody and everything in that place. So what does this mean then when it talks about serving God in the temple day in and day out? Well, it means that we're all going to stand around in our white robes on clouds with harps singing songs constantly. No, 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 no. That's not what that means. Instead, there's a, there's a fellow who uh, I'm going to quote if I can bring up his book in just a second here. Hold on a second. Um, Cornelius. Good Dutch name, right? Cornelius. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a little Roman. Yeah, absolutely. I hate it when I get lost. Cornelius. There we go. All right. He says that um, ah! <laughs> when, Oh dear. Anyways, okay. <laughs> Cornelius Venema. Oh, there we go. It's a good Dutch name. He says, no legitimate activity of life, whether in marriage, family, business, play, friendship, education, politics, etc., escapes the claims of Christ's kingship. Certainly those who live and reign with Christ forever will find the diversity and complexity of their worship of God not less, but greater in the life to come. Every legitimate activity of new creaturely life will be included within the life of worship of God's people. The promise of the future is the name of that book. 
when the Bible talks about those people standing before the throne and worshiping God and serving him daily, right? We've got to remember that the throne of God is living within our hearts, that Christ is walking with us daily. And I'm not just talking metaphorically, right? Like we're walking and talking with God like he did in the garden, except closer and more intimate. And we will be doing things for and with God and with our fellow believers. And so our worship will be, I don't know, you'll be sweeping the floor of the temple with its golden crystal sea and all that stuff, right? We will be doing amazing things. So, what does all this mean for us? Well, Karl Barth, Uh, my favorite theologian sort of sums it up because this is not something we can just leave. Salvation belongs to our God, the people by the throne say, right? And to the lamb, right? There is only one way to salvation. There is only one way to salvation and it is through Jesus Christ. And what does salvation mean? Being chosen for salvation, being elected to be part of that is this. Election, according to Karl Barth, is the divine ordination to discipleship, to the apostolate, to the community. The divine ordination to participation in the messianic future. Brothers and sisters, if we are saved... If we are saved through Jesus Christ, then we are saved to be disciples in this world and in the next. And we are saved to be apostles, as it were. Those who go around sharing the good news in our words and on our deeds. And we are saved to be part of the community. We are ordained into the community of believers, right? Not not that we look around and we say, hey, everybody here is perfect already. Awesome, right? But we are saved to be part of this community, to be disciples in this world and to share the good news of that faith throughout this world. So brothers and sisters, Here in the book of Revelation, in this passage, we see some of what the end result of that salvation is. Our purity, our cleansing, the opportunity to serve God day to day, not just with harps on clouds, but doing all kinds of great and wonderful things. But, but the, the fruit of that or the evidence of that salvation here and now, regardless of wars in Ukraine, wars in, in other parts of the world, regardless of famine, regardless of, of drought and disease, regardless of anything else in this world, the fruit, the symbol, the, the evidence of our election is what we do to get through This great ordeal that is life. So brothers and sisters. The question of course becomes gently and humbly asked. What are you doing 
as a disciple, as an apostle, as a servant of God. What are you doing? What am I doing to shout from the rooftop, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb? What are we doing to echo the praises, the sevenfold praises of the angels? By God's grace, brothers and sisters, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we can be part of those who participate ordainly or divinely ordained to participate in the messianic future. Not just when Christ returns, but here and now. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I'm not entirely even sure how practical this message was in terms of everyday concrete stuff for us to do. But I know that you speak through your spirit. And so I, w- I pray very much, we pray very much that the words that I have spoken, the image of us serving you forever, it, it is projected into our hearts and minds in such a way that we may see through your spirit's divine leading how we may not only serve you in those years and eternity f- to come, but that we may see how we may serve you now. How our praises might echo now. How we might share the good news of your salvation now. Oh God, I don't know what you will bring into our lives this week. You have promised that you have planned down in advance good things for us to do. May we see those opportunities and may we take them. May we come through the ordeal that is life in this time of tribulation. May we come through and by your grace wave the palm branch of victory. Wear the white robes of your salvation. And may we praise your name now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, we're going to sing as our song of response, the King of love, my shepherd is, and I would encourage you to have that be a prayer for you. As you go throughout this week, listen to where the shepherd might be guiding you to do the good and speak the good into the lives of those around you so that all may know salvation through Jesus Christ. Let us stand and sing together.